I can just be talking, talking, talking. This is what happened to me. This is what happened to me. This is what I've seen. But unless I bring some solutions to the table, I'm just talking. So I try to be very solution-oriented in my articles. But as I said, I'm trying to work through what's the best way to re-engage full-time within the sector. I don't think that I can go back to the traditional model of I'm working from an INGO, I'm managing a project, I'm based in headquarters, the project is overseas, I'm going to go there five times a year, do some monitoring, report back to the donor to tell them, yes, great project, please give us some more funding. I, that model does not work for me anymore. Um, but it's to figure out what model would work for me going forward. My name is Lizanne Yurikz Richman, co-founder of Rethinking Global Health, and you're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. You're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health, from the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. I want to lighten it up a little bit by going to our rapid fire segment called Insight Blitz, where we'll ask you some questions or read some brief statements and you will be able to provide a brief response to those. You ready to begin? Sure, let's go. <laughs> All right, let's begin. I promise they're harmless. What do you do in your spare time for fun? I go to the gym. If you could go back to when you first started your career in global health, what would you tell yourself knowing what you know now? that I'm operating within a system and the system isn't meant for me to flourish and just be mindful of that. Name one of the most inspiring books, movies, articles, or any media that you've read or consumed. Oh, there is this book that I've read by Lovey Ajay Jane. Do I have it here? I don't remember the name of the book now. But the Fear Fighter mm. Manual. Basically, how to, you know, fight fear as a black person living in a white world. List two important traits of a global health professional. Reflective, participatory. Okay. I wonder why you chose those two. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And lastly, if you didn't pursue a career in global health and you weren't interested in medicine, at the time, what career would you have chosen instead? I honestly don't know. When I was younger, I wanted to be a vet. That was because I had a, a mm. kitten. <laughs> so I can't forget the girl, yeah, I could be a vet to care for my kitten. Inspiration comes from home. You have to make sure your pet's doing okay. So I think LaShawn wanted to be a grasshopper catcher. Yes, I did. At one point. Yes, I did. So wow. I'll catch those grasshoppers. <laughs> there you go. I'd love to know the story behind that. <laughs> oh my gosh. We'll, we'll, we'll talk after the recording. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That brings us to the end of our Rapid Fire Insight Blitz segment. Uh, I'll pass it over to Lashad. All right. 
right, cool. So we've been talking about how complex this space is, and I, I'm really enjoying this conversation just because, as an early career professional in global health, it's good to see the realities of what people are getting into and the types of career that are out there. You might have your eye set on a specific position at a headquarters that does global health, but to actually see, as a person of color, as a woman of color. There are challenges that are not often talked about, and there's not light shed on a lot of these issues, and so that's why I'm interested in asking more about how do we really address some of these issues, these core systemic issues. In the article, you laid out your personal experiences and some of the observations you've had over this 14-year career of yours. But in your opinion, what are some of these steps that need to be taken in global health? So that it can ultimately be more inclusive of voices from Black and Brown communities, and have that meaningful representation from low and middle income countries. It starts at the individual to really reflect on their biases, reflect on why they got into the sector, reflect on how they're perpetuating some of the harmful practices within the sector. But I also think organisations really have to step up to the plate. So, when George Floyd passed away, you saw all of these <laughs> things plastered on organisations' websites. It'd be interesting if they go back to all of this that they've written. We're going to be anti-racist. We're going to be this. We're going to be that, and assess themselves. It's uncomfortable work, but I think it's necessary work. I wrote an article recently about the dynamic between headquarters and country offices and how headquarters hold most of the power. Again, it's how the system was designed. So organizations now need to really look at this structure and said, are we really fit for purpose? Are we being as inclusive as we say we are being? There's the rise of the regional office now. <laughs> where the regional office is having a bit more of the power, but they're still reporting back to the headquarters. Is that really the way to go? I know there's one organization who I've been following them, or IPAS. They're a reproductive health organization where they've literally just got rid of the headquarters structure, and it's more of a flat mm -hmm. structure. And that is in efforts to be more inclusive. Um some organisations might not want to go to that extent. I think Oxfam has moved their headquarters from Oxford in the UK. It's now in Kenya. There's Amref, who their headquarters is based in Kenya. So I think organisations just need to look at their structure, look at their practices, look at their hiring practices. I mentioned mm. that I started off as an intern. At that point, it was an unpaid internship. If you look at the representation of interns there's hardly any black and brown people because we can't afford to be working for free for a whole year I was in the fortunate position that I was still living with my parents so they were able to support me but otherwise I wouldn't have been able to really launch my career through this internship that allowed me to go to West Africa in terms of having more involvement of people in low and middle income countries, who are we saying are the experts? Why are we saying they're the experts? Can we not find experts within low and middle income countries? 
sometimes it's just we go back to the same consultants because it's easier. We know this mm, white consultant yeah. has been doing this for 10 years. So if we need this workshop to be done, we're going to call on that consultant. But we have we have the talent, we have the knowledge in Asia, we have it in Africa, we have it in the Caribbean. It's just a bit harder to find them. But I did see again this website where consultants from low and middle income countries, they registered to say, this is my specialty, mm. this is my area. I don't remember the name wow. of the website, but it's all in efforts to increase mm. their visibility so that they can right. really be leading um leading the, the programs in their regions, in their countries. The thing is, this type of work is outside of business as usual. So it, this work needs to be resourced. And I think that's where organizations, they're probably using existing staff. Let's develop, let's do this little working group to see if we can do that now. It actually needs full-time resource. And it needs to have backing from the leadership. If the leadership is just doing this for a TikTok exercise, the culture is going to stay the same. Everything is going to stay the same. So I think there's a lot of responsibility that organizations, international organizations play. But again, going bigger now, so I started off individual organization. Within the system itself now needs to change. But as I keep saying, the system was built this way. So how do you now go up against a system that was built and is operating the way that it should? Mm. And I think that's where a lot of us are getting stuck. So a lot of my articles, I'm addressing the organizations because that's where I have most of my working experience. But when you look at the bigger beast of the system, how do you do that? But I think if we remain inactive, then nothing's going to change. So it's for the brave ones to really talk talk out as I'm doing. And there's other brilliant people who are doing work to really look at dismantling the system. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm also wondering, and you bring this dynamic, which in public health specifically, maybe donor relations is not so much of a thing at that global level. So when we're talking about interaction of donors when it comes to organizations what kind of changes do you see that are needed i think there needs to be work done at the donor level as well <laughs> yeah. because i we follow the money in global health so if a donor has a call for proposals for a tb project that's going to be rolled out across asia and africa organizations are going to fit themselves to meet that criteria from the donor and donors they fund very vertically. So we're going to fund HIV, we're going to fund this, we're going to fund that. I think donors need to start funding more health system strengthening because mm -hmm. we can be working on one part of the system in terms of service delivery, but there's many components to a health system. So if we just focus on health delivery, health delivery, health delivery, and we're not looking at other issues that shortage of health workers, you know, we want to train, but there's not even health staff to train. But we want to say we trained 25,000 health workers to do X. So I think donors need to be pulled in into this conversation that we're having. I think in terms of how donors fund, a lot of donors want to fund INGOs and then INGOs subcontract. Personally, I feel like we can cut the middleman out sometimes because INGOs are getting yeah. the lion's share of the budget. 
and then what goes to the country programs is peanuts but they're still expected to meet these indicators that have been set not by them but by the headquarters so they're already at a disadvantage because then they're they're under-resourced to be able to implement their projects yeah I just think donors need to be brought into the conversation and fund differently and again there are innovative initiatives that that are coming up about funding differently that I'm keenly following to see how what model are they using yeah that's great and we can talk about this for hours to pick your brain and this highlights so at the same time if you didn't go into the system you wouldn't know what the challenges were I hear what you mean at the beginning when you said you still at the end of the day don't necessarily regret it because you wouldn't have known what issues prevailed and what to call attention to so I'm mindful that's a very important context for people who are going to public health and global health but now that you've left global health and now that you've had some time to reflect is it a goodbye or is it see you later for global Uh, health it's a see you later I still wanted to remain engaged in the space and that's why I'm speaking out about my experiences. I try to be, or at least in in most of my articles, I try to provide some solutions. I like to give practical examples of experiences that I've gone through that then propose some solutions because I can just be talking, talking, talking. This is what happened to me. This is what happened to me. This is what I've seen. But unless I bring some solutions to the table, I'm just talking. So I try to be very solution-oriented in my articles. But as I said, I'm trying to work through what's the best way to re-engage full-time within the sector. I don't think that I can go back to the traditional model of I'm working for an INGO, I'm managing a project, I'm based in headquarters, the project is overseas, I'm going to go there five times a year, do some monitoring, report back to the donor to tell them, yes, great project, please give us some more funding. That model does not work for me anymore. Um, But it's to figure out what model would work for me going forward. That's interesting. And I believe you have a consulting company, Weeks Richmond, Mm -hmm. Rethinking Global Mm -hmm. Health. Is that sort of what you're endeavoring to do with that in some shape or form? Yeah, that's part of it. So it's mostly right now the blog, just getting Mm -hmm. my thoughts, my ideas out. But starting to work with organizations to for them to rethink how their organization is perpetuating a lot of these harmful practices. So I have done some consulting with different organizations, mostly based in the UK. And if that picks up, great. But I feel that consulting could be one way to go. Um, But I do still want to keep my the blog that I have with my husband alive and sharing experiences like that that reaches a wider audience than working just one-on-one with an organization absolutely and you're doing just that being on our podcast (laughs) so having said all that this was a very uh, rich discussion no pun intended what are your take-home messages for our audience in particular students and recent graduates who are aspiring to work in global health or even public health. Your message can even be for those who are maybe in your shoes, who are working in 
global health and are left frustrated by their lack of empowerment and all the structural barriers that are in place for preventing them from contributing in a meaningful Mm -hmm. way. Talk about that a little bit. What are your key messages? Yeah. So for the persons who want to enter the global health space, I would say really reflect on, interrogate your intentions. Like, why do you want to get into the sector? There's a lot of white saviorism in the sector that we don't need. So if that's why you're getting into the sector, we can do without, we can do without you. I would say really being open to learning, lifelong learning. I feel if you're from a high income country, you already have an advantage and you see this that sometimes young master's students they go do their master's thesis overseas and then they automatically now become a project manager. Whereas we have staff who are based in the countries working there for years who can't progress. So just interrogate why it is that you want to get into the sector and once you're in the sector continually be learning, continually be reflecting, but I think continue to share the knowledge that you've gained from your MPH or your DRPH. One of my friends within public health, she said something that has stayed with me, that every position that you're in, really think of doing knowledge transfer, skill transfer. That's important because as people from high-income countries, we're going to move on to another country. So at least have something that remains and constantly be thinking, how sustainable is everything that I'm doing? How sustainable? If when I leave, I take everything with me, then what's the point of me being there? So I would say just come in with a very reflective heart and be open to learning um, from your colleagues who are from low and middle income countries. For the ones who are still fighting the good fight, <laughs> really take care of yourself, however that looks for you. Um, as I said, I thought, I wrote emails, I did complaints, I, I did it all. And then I thought, no, I'm not at my expense. So take care of yourself. I'm not going to say keep up the good fight if it's detrimental to your health, but really take care of yourself and reflect it it doesn't have to be always just the traditional way of doing things as I stepped out for a bit take a side step if you need to do some reflection because sometimes when you're in the thick of things you can't really see very well but I've been out of the sector now for two years this month and I'm able to see things a lot more clearly than when I was in the day-to-day of it so Everyone has their families to support and things like that. So I'm not saying quit and <laughs> quit in protest, but take care of yourself. And I would say to to organizations, INGOs, their leadership, be ready to have uncomfortable conversations with with your staff. I think that's a good place to start. Here in the UK, we have a lot of reports that are coming out that are saying black and brown staff in these large INGOs they're not feeling supported they've experienced racism they're not included they're not getting promoted the data is there now we know it's there what are you going to do about it and I feel any organization that's not really addressing that that has their head buried in the sand 
they're not ready to do the work and that wouldn't be an environment that I would want to be in. So do the hard work, do the uncomfortable work, but also, you know, resource the work and don't leave the work to be on the shoulders of your black and brown staff. We're not the ones perpetuating the system, so we shouldn't be the ones who are doing doing the work to dismantle the system. Yeah, those of you might might take home for your different audiences. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for breaking it down for each of those groups because I think those messages were very real and practical, right? And uncut raw, which I think everyone will definitely appreciate, especially coming from your experiences. So once again, Lasagna, it was a pleasure to have you on one of my favorite podcast episodes we've recorded. So thank you so much for willing to come on today. Oh, thank you for the invitation. I really had a good time as well. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.